This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, May 30th, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. Freeing immigration globally could dramatically boost worldwide GDP, but would the large shift in populations weaken institutions? Alex Narasta, a policy analyst at the Cato Institute, discusses the debate. Harvard professor George Borjas is the most well-regarded economist who works in immigration today. And he admits that if there were global open borders, that GDP of the world would double or more than double as a result of uh, workers being able to move to different countries and be more productive. However, he has a caveat, and that is if all these people moving affect the institutions and countries that receive them by say, hurting property rights, by restricting contract rights, by voting for other big government policies or somehow creating them, then that could destroy a lot of the long-run economic gains of immigration by, in essence, killing the goose that laid the golden egg, by weakening American or other countries' economic institutions. Do we have evidence from I – mean, obviously, we have, have had big uh, influxes of immigrants in American history. Do we have evidence about what happened – with respect to those influxes? So we have uh, some evidence from the modern uh, time period. I've uh, been working on a working paper with uh, a few professors on this topic called Does Immigration Impact Economic Freedom? And we look globally and what we basically do for the paper is take a look at the percentage of their country's population that's immigrant in 1990 and then take a look at the economic freedom score of that country in 2011 and see if there's any kind of trend pushing it one way or the other. And what we see is that globally, a one standard deviation increase in the percentage of immigrants in 1990 is correlated with a one seventh of a standard deviation increase in economic freedom in those same countries in 2011. And what's interesting is a one standard deviation globally of the percentage of the population that's immigrant is equal to a 12 percentage point difference of the country uh, having immigrants. So it's a difference between having zero immigrants, zero percent immigrants in your country and 12 percent, which is a heck of a difference. Um, This is especially true for immigrants that come from non-OECD countries or poor countries. We don't really find any evidence that immigrants from other rich countries have any impact on uh, uh, economic freedom scores for these countries. Um, But what's interesting is on the international scene, a one standard deviation difference in economic freedom is basically the difference between a basket case economy like Cyprus and a successful rich country like Germany. So a one standard, a one seventh standard deviation difference in economic freedom globally is actually a very big deal. Now, we also took a look at the United States because we have economic freedom scores for every single American state over this time, as well as the percentage of those states that have uh, their, their population percentages. So we find a slightly different result amongst American states. That is a one standard deviation increase in immigration in 1990 is correlated with a one-fifth standard deviation decrease in economic freedom across American states during that time. But it's also important to recognize that a one standard deviation uh, difference in economic freedom between American states is pretty small compared to the global difference. It's basically the difference between Georgia and California. So you're talking about a one-fifth of the difference between Georgia and California in terms of economic freedom. But that does not take into account the fact that U.S. economic freedom as a whole on the national level is positively correlated with 
increases in the immigrant proportion of the population. You said that uh, wealthy immigrants from wealthy countries going to other wealthy countries doesn't have that much of an impact. Uh, is that impact then much stronger for immigrants who go from very poor countries to very wealthy countries? No, we don't really, um, we don't see any, we see an increase for non-OECD immigrants in general, but we haven't split it up in our paper to the extremely poor uh, versus the moderately poor. And one reason might be, um, one reason we didn't really take a look at that is a lot of people from extremely poor countries just don't have the funds to immigrate in the first place. It's certainly a legitimate concern that a huge uh, shift of a population from one country to another or from poor countries to wealthy or, or in various ways that uh, immigrants move around the world, it's reasonable to, to think that that might have damaging effects on institutions. Uh, what is the ultimate uh, conclusion? If you, can, if you can draw one. So the ultimate conclusion is that immigrants just do not affect the institutions and the countries they move to very much, um, especially when they move to wealthy countries like uh, the United States or Western European countries. We see some evidence of re large refugee populations moving to neighboring countries because of civil war or other kinds of strife. And if those neighboring countries have large percentages of the population are of the same ethnic group. You can see some destabilization in sub-Saharan African countries, for instance, uh, in some Asian countries like Pakistan as a result. Um, and that does affect those institutions in those countries. Um, but on the whole, on the average across all these different countries around the world, we see a positive association between people moving and improvements in the economic freedom score. And in very poor countries that are neighboring war-torn countries, you would expect that the institutions in those countries may not be very strong to begin with. Yeah, you're basically starting at a low point and perhaps making them a little bit worse for some of these war-torn areas of the world, which I think is no surprise to most people. But that's probably not the best example to study the global institutional impact of immigration. You want to take a look at sort of the entire basket um, and then take a look at peaceful migration, you know, of willing individuals fleeing not because of ethnic or war-torn strife, but because of, you know, simple economic reasons or family reasons. Now, yeah. So the, the immigration that people are most concerned about with respect to the United States is aspirational. That is, it's people coming here to improve their lives, improve their families' lives. Um, but some people, it is argued, come here to sponge, to uh, exploit whatever benefits uh, exist in the United States that don't have anything to do with work or economic opportunity. What can we say with confidence about immigration and the welfare state? Yeah, so many have complained that immigrants while coming here will grow entitlements and welfare, just as you said. Um, what's interesting is we see countervailing evidence in Europe. We see the opposite going on in Europe. We see places that are increasingly ethnically and racially diverse in Northern Europe, especially like Sweden and Germany that are recently receiving large numbers of immigrants. We see the size of welfare benefits actually decrease in these places. So the theory is that large welfare states are sustainable in an ethnically and racially and religiously homogeneous population, but they seem to be politically not sustainable in a more diverse population when we take a look at Northern Europe. So I decided to uh, test this with a co-author, Zach Gochnauer of George Mason University, 
in a working paper called The Political Externalities of Immigration, Evidence from the United States. So we tried to see if the same thing that happens in Europe happens in the United States. Is more diversity driven by immigration or increases in immigration affect welfare states in the United States? And we can do this in the United States because individual states have a lot of power in setting the size of their means-tested welfare benefits. Um, they also have their own health and human services budgets. And fortunately, differences across American states and the percentage of their populations that are immigrant is vast. So California, about a quarter of the residents are immigrants. and West Virginia, it's about 1%. And so we can test this. And what we see is from the period of 1970 to 2010, taking a look at the immigrant population, estimated unlawful immigrants, the percentage of the Hispanic population that is driven by immigration, the Asian population, the black American population, and any different combinations of these and means-tested welfare benefits, we find no correlation at all between any of these indicators and the size of means-tested welfare benefits. So while a lot of uh, people who, are, who raise this argument that immigrants will drive welfare. They point to states like California or New York that have a lot of immigrants, and they say they have a lot big welfare states, and they say, see. But for every state like New York or California with a lot of diversity and big welfare, there's a state like Texas or Florida with a lot of diversity and moderating or decreases, decreasing size of welfare benefits. What can we say uh, about the idea that a large immigrant population in a state, because those people are not fully part of the system, that is, does, they're not, uh, their status is dubious, that actually drives them away from trying to consume welfare benefits? It does. Uh, what we see is that immigrants are less, poor immigrants are less likely to consume mean-tested welfare than poor Americans. I mean, you have to compare that apple to apple because most Americans are not eligible for means-tested welfare benefits because we make a little bit more money uh, than that. So if you compare poor immigrants to poor Americans, poor immigrants use a lot less means-tested welfare. They're also less likely to uh, consume it even when they are eligible uh, to get these benefits. But this is sort of goes to a more fundamental question of how immigrants impact the size of these programs in the first place, how they impact the size of these benefits. Um, and what we see is no effect pretty much. And in this situation, a no effect finding, which is usually pretty boring in economics, uh, actually shows that immigrants do not affect these entitlement programs or welfare programs. So if you're concerned about immigration for that reason, you should relax because the impacts are just not found. So uh, also, if, if you say you're finding uh, no impact, that would seem to nullify the idea that by and large, immigrants are coming to take advantage of these programs that is sorting into states with more generous benefits than with less. Absolutely. They are moving to states with uh, fewer benefits, uh, generally because those states are also growing more. They have greater job growth and economic growth. And that is the primary reason why immigrants come to this country. We saw a large decrease in Mexican immigrants beginning in about 2007 because a lot of the occupations they worked in the, in the United States collapsed, like the housing market. So they couldn't work in construction anymore. So that uh, economic magnet was turned off for them. When it comes to welfare and institutions in the United States, uh, demographics are not destiny. When it comes to determining the size of welfare or how good our economic institutions are at encouraging growth, uh, increases in diversity driven by immigration, the immigrants themselves don't seem to have a negative impact 
on uh, immigration, I mean, on these play, uh, institutions in the United States. Um, I also want to say in contrasting the United States with Europe, with the welfare impact, um, it lets us know that Americans have a less visceral and negative reaction to immigrants and increase in diversity than Europeans typically do, which I think makes a lot of sense given our big immigrant heritage and how diverse this country is already. So that is a good thing that we can pat ourselves on the back on, uh, pat, pat ourselves on the back for. Alex Narasta is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.